Hello, I'm Ryan Boll, a Middle East and North Africa analyst at Stratfor, a rain company. This podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, rain's premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Special subscription rates for podcast listeners can be found at stratfor.com slash podcast offer. Welcome to the Essential Geopolitics Podcast from Stratfor, a rain company. I'm Emily Donahue. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Rebecca Keller, Stratfor's Senior Science and Technology Analyst. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, thanks for having me. Rebecca, after nearly a year of global health and economic effects from the coronavirus pandemic, some experts are saying there could be a vaccine within a few months. The U.S. may even be sooner if President Trump can get a vaccine approved as quickly as he wants. What have been the lasting impacts of Trump's efforts to push for a speedy approval of a COVID-19 vaccine? Right. So we have seen an unprecedented global effort to develop a vaccine for this novel virus in a record amount of time. Previously, the, the quickest vaccine from um, inception to to production has been something like four years, if I'm recalling correctly. So we're looking at something that's never been done before, regardless of how fast it gets out, whether it's in a few months or, or six months from now. Um, and it has been across the globe. However, what we've seen is there hasn't been cooperation or as much coordination as there, as there possibly could have been. And a lot of that has, has come from the U.S. side. Um, as we've seen the, the Trump administration really push for, for U.S. development and, and U.S. Um, reception of that vaccine on a rapid pace. And as President Trump has pushed for an emergency approval order for, for a vaccine because there is no way it is getting through um, the regulatory process in the next couple of months, um, what, what that really has done is it's eroded public trust in the vaccine because the the U.S.'s regulatory environment is set up to ensure not only the efficacy of a vaccine, but also the safety and reliability of it. And we're looking at vaccine types um, that that are that are still rather new themselves, and not the traditional vaccine types that we, that we see in a in a measles, mumps, rubella kind of shot. Um, that they're more they're more advanced therapeutics um, that are still in the in the early stages of their own development. So we're really looking at a, a massive scientific effort that that is really impressive on its time scale. But at the same point, we can't push it too far. We, we, we do still need the time to see the initial data. We need the time to evaluate that data and determine its safety. So we're looking at um, President Trump didn't isn't going to get his wish. We are not going to have a vaccine, even an emergency authorization before the election next week. Um, we could see one before the end of the year, possibly. Um, Pfizer's, Pfizer is saying that their vaccine might submit for emergency authorization before the end of the year. That being said, there's even some risks to that initial submission of emergency authorization. If you've got a vaccine in the U.S. with emergency authorization, but you still have three other vaccines that are currently in phase three trials collecting their own data, and that first vaccine isn't the best vaccine, you could hurt the chances of those other vaccines completing their trials. Additionally, you if you've got emergency authorization of a vaccine, you could even hurt the data collection of that vaccine itself if you lose the double-blind um, 
nature of a study. So from a scientific perspective, emergency authorization really threatens the long-term efficacy and development of not only these first vaccines, but future vaccines. And then once a vaccine is developed or the other vaccines are developed, there are some key constraints on distribution. Could you explain some of those both here and in, and abroad? Absolutely. Um, so there's there's a couple of, of different distribution constraints that need to be considered from a logistical perspective. Um, most of the vaccines that are currently in phase three trials, the ones that are most advanced right now, require some sort of refrigeration for for storage. The Pfizer vaccine in particular requires extreme levels of, of cold and, and can only be thawed for a certain number of days before it goes bad. So you're looking at a very coordinated distribution effort that is going to have issues in rural and poor communities. Um, additionally, when you're looking globally, um, I spoke about coordination with the development. Coordination globally with distribution is also going to be an issue. Um, the, the World Health Organization and the UN have put together... Um, a program called COVAX, which is bringing together the developed world to to coordinate uh, the distribu- distribution of vaccines, so multiple vaccines, in a more equal fashion abroad to ensure that the developing world does have access to the vaccines. However, what we're more likely to see, even with that effort, is really the developed world having greater access to vaccine earlier than the developing world, which which lengthens the recovery process from the global pandemic. Because if you haven't gotten um, vaccine out throughout the world, you're still going to have outbreaks. You're still going to continue to have, have travel restrictions, and you're not going to see the resumption of normal global activities um, without that coordination. With COVAX in particular, we're seeing the U.S. and Russia not participate at this moment. While that might change under a new administration um, in January, at this moment, U.S. and Russia are not are not participating. China, however, is participating in COVAX. That was a recent change. And, and China has a number of, of vaccines in phase three, three trials themselves. And we will continue to see China use vaccine and vaccine distribution, especially in the developing world, as a, as a soft power tool as a way to exert influence and and favor among developing nations. Doesn't Russia, hasn't Russia been mass deploying a vaccine already? Right. So Russia has given conditional approval to one of their vaccines. Um, At the time they did it, it was comparatively in phase one or phase two studies. So they gave they basically gave emergency authorization to their vaccine, and then have since been deploying it in in larger amounts. However, it should not be considered as a fully approved or fully deployed vaccine. Mm-hmm. So, are there any limitations to China's strategy to increase its influence? For sure. So, there's a couple of limitations there. One, China. While it will want to use vaccines as a soft power tool in its foreign policy and diplomacy, it does have the limitation that it has a very large population of itself that it will want to vaccinate. Now, China probably has had some of the largest vaccination efforts within its own population during the testing phases thus far, um, but it will still need to vaccinate um, the world's largest population. Um, So that'll be one one uh, one constraint in, in how much vaccine they can manufacture, what goes to the domestic population first, and then what do they use 
abroad. Um, there will also be limitations in trust there. Um, we, we've seen the rushed process sort of erode public trust in the Western world. China's pharmaceutical industry is still less developed than either the United States or Europe, though so they are they are working to improve that domestic sector. And there have been a number of um, scandals and health concerns within that industry in recent history. And so we could see for countries that have the ability to or the option to not go with China, that that trust could also become an issue. The Chinese government will likely use vaccine diplomacy in, in nations where there aren't as many options. So that might not be as large of a constraint as their domestic uh, demand is. Well, thank you for that insight, Rebecca. Of course. Dr. Rebecca Keller is Senior Science and Technology Analyst at Stratfor, a RAIN company. You can read her analysis of this situation and Stratfor's technology intelligence with a subscription to Stratfor Worldview. There is a special price for podcast listeners. You can find it at stratfor.com slash podcast offer. That's S-T-R-A-T-F-O-R dot com slash podcast offer. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. Thank you.